Wrestling with History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. The voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick, and wonderful Willie, the legend maker, Bill Apter. These two guys have been all over the internet over the past week. You've seen Ken on PW Insider with Mike Johnson. Bill's been on at Wrestling Inc. And you guys are just all over the news. All over Wrestling Inc. with uh, Tricky Nicky Houseman. Tricky Nicky. And- Tricky Nikki Houseman and uh, good times. And we always, we always state our loyalty to the VOC nation. But you know what, Bill? I, I mean, let's be honest. We're getting the same question, just repetitive time after time. All anybody wants to talk about is what is Bruce Wart really like? And, you know, it's, it's hard to take these, tell these tales out of school. No, it is. The other question that I keep getting about you, Ken, is about your balls. Where is this going? I mean, I don't know where this is going. If you look behind you, if you look behind you, there I've never seen so many balls in a collection ever. And you know, I know we get a lot of questions and we have not addressed your balls on this broadcast ever. They, you know, they they are are signed by some pretty famous ball players. Oh, okay. I don't know what you two were thinking. That's going to make YouTube. That that is a clip that will make YouTube and Twitter. Oh, okay. We opened the show today with Ken's balls. Yes, <laughs> including those signed by Yogi Berra, Ted Williams, Stan Musial, Bob Feller, Frank Robinson, Hank Aaron. Wow. If you go to YouTube, Sounds like you're blessed. If you go to if you go to YouTube and you put in Bill After interviews Mickey Mantle, I did lots of Yankee interviews on my old uh, radio show and the most embarrassing one was I could not pronounce the name Carl Yastrzemski. Nine, he was he was throwing the ball and I'm standing next to him with the microphone here. I'm going, my guest here is Carl Yas- Yarabensk. And I couldn't, I sounded like Jerry Lewis. Yabajensky. Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, there, there goes our fan base in Boston. <laughs> Bill, you're going back to wrestling. Oh, you said uh, you balls. have good times with Wrestling Inc. And I was going to ask if it was a rerun. But anyway, Ken, <laughs> you were on PW Insider with Mike Johnson. You sat down for a, a nice uh, fireside chat. I, I was. Uh, we taped it today, although I it may not drop until next Wednesday. That I'm not sure of. He's taping a, a little advance. In fact, as I mentioned to you, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Mike is coming to Minneapolis, so we are going to get together and have a libation. Uh, and we also talked about it. Uh, I'm going to see him uh, at the gathering uh, July 22nd uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Not That's the T-Mart years. gathering, yes. correct? Not the gathering of the Juggalos. Right. The okay. T-Mart gathering, tmart.com. I mean, it's an absolute fabulous weekend from Thursday night through Sunday. And Mike is going to be there. So I'm looking forward to seeing him there. As well. The other gathering was uh, a a festival, I guess I'll say it that way, in the middle of a place called Cave in Rock, Illinois. And if you ever saw The Walking Dead, 
and you wanted to see it in real life. And I'm not insulting. Listen, I, the Juggalos and I, that that's how part of how we got such a big fan base. Bill introduced me to, right. to Violent J and Shaggy, too dope. Yeah. And they liked me for whatever reason. And I interviewed them and all of their fans started listening to my show in Philadelphia. Kevin Gill used to come on all the time. I had them on the air twice yeah. and they invited me out there. So it's me, Amber O'Neill, and uh, I think Namar. And we were, I, we got to meet Ice-T and Little, Little Wayne, Little Wayne or, uh, yeah. I that think interview, so. that interview, by the way, is still on onewrestlingvideo.com. It's in the yeah. archives there. So uh, Google VOC Nation Gathering of the Juggalos or, or go on one wrestling video. The, the one wrestling video is the original. That was like one of the first interviews I did at WrestleFest. I, I remember. You broke me into the business, Bill, after. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's the other gathering. So today, guys, we're going to talk about women's wrestling and the evolution of such over the course of time. But I did want to start with some questions, and I was inspired to do this topic by the very first question I'm going to read today. So can I do that first? And then we'll, we'll do some other things that came in and then we'll talk about the evolution of women's wrestling. How does that I, sound? I want to make sure because I didn't write this down. When we do the evolution of women's wrestling, I want to talk about the New York state athletic commission ban on women wrestling. Sure. Okay. I wrote it down for you. Bill. Thank All you. right. And, so, and my answer to that question Bruce, you're the voice of choice, a host of this show. You can do whatever you want. That's true. For now, unless I sell this whole thing. Who knows? Um, <laughs> all right. Hey, this question by Max TF. Max TF was addressed to Bill, but I'm going to ask it to both of you. Bill, you first. Did Bill, after, it actually just says Bill, so he could be talking about any Bill. But right. did Bill ever think women would main event WrestleMania? I never gave it a thought, to be honest with you. Um, no, I, I really never envisioned that happening. Ken? No, um, you know, and we'll talk about it. I mean, I, I did the LPWA, which was the first really serious show about women's wrestling. But like Bill, it, it was so far-fetched back in those days it, it never entered anyone's thought process yeah no, not at all not at all it was always the guys in the main event and nobody ever thought that hey uh women in the main event That's, yeah no. and if you think about it the way that it started it almost you couldn't have envisioned that 30 or 40 years ago because it was just a side attraction. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Thank you, Max, for the question. You inspired the show today. So I will we'll leave that alone for now. We'll get to the other questions and then we'll come back to the whole topic of women. I should have did this in reverse, but, you know, who knows? Oh, what, see, what? now what, my, my speech teacher would have had a a problem with that i should have done not i should have did i should have done that first right i should, I should have done that for shame <sighs> on me too the technicality really? of if i were doing actual radio i would be getting lambasted in my headset for going to that first going yeah. away from it and then coming back to the same topic bruce, shame on me bruce give yourself a face rake 
I had scissors. I was, I, you know. I, oh, okay, I, yeah. okay. All right. Uh, so here's another question, and this your, your also time inspired... machine has obviously developed a warp. <laughs> this question inspired an email that I I sent the other day because and 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 for no other reason. I'm just going to read the question. It says, and and this is directed to Bill and Ken. Why aren't you on the ad free shows network? That's from Jason. <laughs> Uh, because I, they like me better. I mean, come uh, on. Conrad's yeah. not as fun to do this stuff with. Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, but um, it's something that we should. Yeah. Um, we'll uh, explore. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should pursue and explore that. We'll explore. And we don't yeah. know if Conrad even wants us, uh, you know, probably not me, but he'd probably have you two guys. Well, it would have to be a package deal. I, I'm sticking with Bruce's answer. It's because we like you. That's Thank it. You know, you, you can't have Larry and Curly without Mo. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Jason. And I don't know if you wanted me in that package. You didn't say it, but I'll just assume that I'm part of the deal. Uh, Larry J. And uh, this is the final question. Is that the Larry, Larry from Larry, Curly, and Mo? Or I don't is that know. a different Larry? <laughs> Bill, it's like you teed that up. I, I'm it, sorry. It, it's oh, on the paper. Guy, eh? I can't. Yeah, there you go. It does say Larry J. It was there before Bill said I it. it. Uh, <laughs> who was Ken's favorite backstage interview? I can't uh, answer that. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, obviously... Hulk was one, you know, he gave me the, the name Killer Ken, which is, is still being used uh, uh, today. Uh, in, in the AWA, I've got to say it was probably the Crusher, yeah. um, you know, and I mean, along with Hulk, uh, Roddy Piper was great. Um, you know, it, it's, boy, that, that that's a hard one, but I guess I, I would say, Overall, Hulk, uh, AWA, the Crusher, and since Hulk was overall, I'd probably go with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, Rowdy Piper, you said we did a spotlight on Rowdy Piper a couple weeks ago. Go back, check that out at the archives, VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed. And you said that Roddy was great at building to a crescendo, right? Roddy would know how many dates were left until he was on the syndicated show before he was getting to wherever he was going in that town. And that, that made it more fun than just a generic interview, right? Yeah, a a absolutely. <clears throat> and as I talked about, as we got closer, the, you know, quote unquote, Piper insanity would come out. And I always got the question from fans I would interact with, that Roddy Piper, is he really that nuts? Would he really try and do what he said? I, I mean, Roddy just had the ability to build to the crescendo, and the crescendo was always so great that people, you know, uh, I, I go back to Jack Buck's call in, in game six, of the World Series when Kirby Puckett, you know, hit the home run to, to send it to game seven. You know, the fans would kind of be saying to themselves, I don't believe what I just saw. You know, when <laughs> Piper would do that. And of course, you know, the, the coconut with Jimmy Snuka on Piper's pit, 
he he just had that ability and you know as i'm interviewing him i would like kind of almost an out of body take a step back and appreciate just the way he would build to it yeah yeah he definitely in the interviews that i did with him on one wrestling video and uh, on the old uh, crockett shows he would start off very much like this and then you know he'd start to get in the face and he got he knew how to build it up yeah. perfectly more, more than anybody i've ever worked with yeah. he he yeah. his his timing you know as you saw on all the piper's pit was just you know incredible it was a natural it was yeah. a natural thing for him bill i'm going to ask you the same question right and and in whatever media that you you want to choose. But before that, Ken, you mentioned the Jack Buck call. And I thought you were going to say not Kirby Puckett's home run, but when Ben Simmons failed to dunk under the basket with nobody in his face, I thought Jack Buck might have come out of his grave to say, I don't believe what I just saw. They're, they're talking crazy sports. I don't know what they're talking about. The, the three, some of the three most unbelievable moments in sports Kirby Puckett's game six home run, Kirk Gibson's pinch hit World Series home run, and Ben Simmons. What <laughs> are they talking Choke. about? But, All right, anyway. back to wrestling. Bill, yes. whether it was print or uh, TV or an independent show where you you've done a lot of those where you MC and you ring announce and you do interviews backstage, a lot of big independent shows too. You've done the stuff with Crockett. So you've done a lot too. Who was your favorite interview that you've done? See, I hate to pinpoint this because the people who are alive will all get, I thought it was me, but they're no... Bill, not to interrupt, let me make it easy on you. You, you can just eliminate the, I, I know it's probably the after chat I did with you, but because I'm on, you know, the show, you can eliminate that one. Oh, okay. Or oh, thank you. Cause I was going to, I didn't want you to be insulted. No, back. I, I have to say, uh, Bruce and Ken, it would be by generations, by eras. Back in the seventies, when I first started, Captain Lou Albano and the Grand Wizard and Fred Blassie always came through. They were all, all three of them were perfect, perfect interviews. Then you go back to the, the next generation. Bruno Sammartino was an incredible gentleman and an interview. And then you'd go on to, uh, you know, uh, the other generations of Jack Briscoe. And, but if, if I took all my old cassette tapes, which I have down here, and the most fun interviews I ever did was with um, Captain Lou Albano and the Grand Wizard. I had hands down. And look back in the archives, Captain Lou Albano. Bill actually tells a famous story about his rubber bands and where that came from. Yeah, so yeah. if you haven't seen that or on, on the video, and, and we do get thousands of, of hits on the videos on YouTube, check out uh, the VOC Nation Wrestling Network channel as well. Go ahead, Ken. You know what, Bruce, can I just add probably the most fun interviews of all were with George the Animal Steel. Because oh. You never quite, I mean, it was just funny. Some couple times, you know, when he would drag me into the camera or someone else, look, see, uh, you know, the others were great, but just for pure fun, it was with George the Animal. Probably the scariest interviews I ever did, and this is at the beginning of my career, were with Dick the Bulldog Brower, 
and he was very intimidating and crazy Luke Graham and King Curtis. I really thought those three guys were going to kill me back in the seventies. Yeah. They were that yeah. convincing. The, the one interview I still was the most intimidated by, you know, I had just started uh, with the AWA, Gene had just left. I had never met them before. They were late to, you know, getting to TV. So I didn't really have a chance to, to talk to them. But I remember the first interview I ever did with the Road Warriors. It was like, oh, I, yes. I was intimidated. Like, you know, these guys might try and kill me. And, yeah. you know, we ended up, I was great friends with Mike and Joe. Had a chance to, to see, get together with Paul Ellering again a couple of years ago. But boy, I'll never forget, I hadn't been doing it very long. And all of a sudden, here come the Road Warriors in the first interview. I literally hadn't had a chance to say one word to them. And when they were coming in, it was like, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. We but don't care, quiet. do we? <sighs> you know, towards the uh, as more I got to know them, Hawk especially, would get me involved, try and blow my hair, you know, do things. So they were they were a lot of fun. But that was the one interview when I was the most intimidated. One, one interview that I did with them, and it's on uh, it was on TBS, and you can find it on YouTube. And this there's a story to this. Hawk called me. He says, "Okay, after you gerbil faced twit." So years later, I saw Animal at a. Uh, uh, wrestling convention about three or four years ago and he calls me over and I said what he said I got a present for you and it's hanging on in after's alley in the other room they made a t-shirt just called you gerbil face twit <laughs> and I was so I was so impressed he said you got to have this I, uh, I I I have to get I have to dig up that YouTube episode or YouTube sorry uh video and put it on the I'll I'll attach that to our this this clip. Yeah, we'll have to do that. By the way, not that anybody cares, but my scariest interview was probably Malcolm Wildman and my favorite was oh. Granny Hulkster talking to me about her dog every every week when Kenny Malcolm Wildman that. was a, a quite a character out in California. I remember him very well. Still calls into some VOC Nation programming. He was actually in the documentary for David Arquette, Malcolm yeah, Wildman yeah, yeah. makes an appearance in there. Malcolm won a, and, and I'm getting off track, and I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans have seen Malcolm at conventions. He's the guy, big guy, yells a lot, wears a snake around his um, uh, neck. But Malcolm won, we were doing a contest for the radio station in Philadelphia, and Malcolm won a trip to WrestleMania. And this is a low-powered AM station, so we didn't have the biggest budget. And the hotel that we put Malcolm up in uh, did not have elevators. It was just steps to get to the third floor of this thing. Uh, I believe the air conditioner worked, but it was um, there was a visible hole between the air conditioner and the window. It was a scene. So I think that's on YouTube somewhere. Well. Was not the hotel of choice. No. Okay. And I had nothing well to do with. Was Me that the person. air host in Chicago? <laughs> Albert, and I, to Philly. Albert and I paid, well, 
if you know Albert, my former co-host, I paid to upgrade us and we stayed at a different place down the street. That's good. Right. Anyway, we'll take we a break. After Sally. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk women's wrestling and the changes over the years. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And uh, we're, we're talking today about the evolution of women's wrestling over the years. And this was inspired by uh, Max TF, who uh, sent an email and asked if Bill After. If, if Bill thought main event women would eventually main event WrestleMania. And I thought about it, we should do, you know, an, an, I, I, an entire show, but uh, a good portion of a show about the evolution of women's wrestling. And I want to go all the way back to the beginning, which. Um, Mild, Mildred Burke. Mildred Burke. Mildred yes. Burke. Yes. Yeah. Mildred, if that's the lady you're talking that's about. That's the lady I'm talking about. She became, uh, she was a shooter. Mildred you know, Burke. Mildred Burke. Was, was, <laughs> I never <laughs> met her during her wrestling days because I was based on the East Coast and she was mainly, uh, I'd only see her wrestling in the uh, um, Western states but when i first started watching wrestling a lot of kids parents wouldn't let them watch women wrestling they thought it was just you know women shouldn't be doing this kind of thing my first i'm going to use the word exposure to women wrestling was when i was uh uh watching wrestling in uh, uh in new york and it was the uh fabulous mulo was the first one who i really uh, noticed uh, because she was she was as tough as the guys and most of the other women that she wrestled were not and then she would uh, have opponents that were that didn't look anything like the women wrestlers of today they were not uh, made to be attractive looking they were made to be tough ass women and uh, and fighters this type of thing um, so uh, but Mula was the first one who I really, the first woman wrestler uh, that I got to know. And then I started. Is that meeting, me that froze? Uh, what's that? Yes. You froze with your eyes closed if, for people watching. Ken video. But you're back it. now, Ken. Oh, yeah. So, so then uh, uh, Paula Kay, I remember meeting Paula Kay and Susan Green. And uh, Mula had a whole Donna Cristinello. And then, she had a stable of, of people that yeah, she yeah, trained yeah. and they would travel around as an act, right? Yeah, and well, it wasn't an act. It was well, a sideshow. It was, it, was it was part of she <laughs> would travel with her group of women and they would appear at different territories. Right, and she, she made a deal. As an attraction. Yeah, she made a deal uh, at one point with uh, Vince McMahon to supply mm -hmm. uh, Vince McMahon Sr. with... Uh, her troop of wrestlers and uh back in the early 70s when i first started uh they she started bringing around some of the wrestlers who back then 
were more feminine looking. Like originally Joyce Grable was a, a knockout and then Vicki Williams, the barefoot uh, wrestler. And, um, but the question about them headlining a WrestleMania, I never thought they would headline a spot show, to be honest with you. Anytime I went to the shows at local clubs like Sunnyside Garden in New York, places like this, the girls' matches were right after the midget matches. It was a special attraction. attraction. Yeah, yeah. It was nothing. Uh, it was not serious competition. But the, the real bugaboo, the real bugaboo is that the New York State Athletic Commission banned masked wrestlers and women wrestlers. They were not, women were not allowed in. And eventually they were able to uh, break the door down. Uh, I, I don't remember what year that was, but uh, it was high about time because that started that whole rock and wrestling era with Cindy Lauper uh, and Moolah and Wendy Richter, and that changed women wrestling forever. So New York would not allow women's wrestling at Madison Square Garden? At, no, anywhere in New York State. Right, right. What I'm saying, yeah. WWF ran the garden, and mm -hmm. that was not a place. So I don't know if a lot of people realize. Wait, that. wait. It was prior to WWF, actually. It was it was Vince, Vince senior, senior there, right? But even when in junior, the '70s, I mean, that's that's a significant territory. Yeah. And, and you think about time, right? Because we're not that far removed from the late '70s. And no, but but when Vince Junior took over and started making this more of a show and re with WrestleMania, et cetera that opened up things more so to, uh, uh, to the women. I one, time, I one time asked Commissioner Dooley mm -hmm. from New York State, I was in the elevator with him and about 20 other commissioners and other people going up to the main floor of Madison Square Garden. And I said to him, I said, why can't women or masked wrestlers wrestle in New York State? And as the doors opened, he said to me, Mr. Reporter, if you want to keep your job, you'll keep your mouth shut. Uh -huh. I never forgot that. That's interesting. A weird. Interesting. Yeah. Ken, just to, along those lines, you told a story on this show about the LPWA, which you were a big part of back in the early 90s, having a similar problem where it wasn't about the state athletic commission, but cable networks did and TV networks didn't want to have women's wrestling on their television. Right. That was the tough part of selling it. I, I think it was in either 90 or 91 when, you know, Tor Berg got a hold of me and wanted to start this promotion, uh, the LPWA ladies professional wrestling association with all women um, and treat it, you know, with respect, not, you know, like glow, you know, not uh, scantily clad, you know, on trained wrestlers, uh, you know, and I agreed. And then there was really no, you know, not big cable deals to be had yet. Um, so the show had to be syndicated and we put together, we did a pilot episode and, and sent out, you know, videotapes to program directors. And I was also helping with the syndication. And a couple of weeks after, I would call the, the program director, tell him who I was. And it, a lot of them were very honest. They said, you know what? It's really a good show. 
I enjoyed it. Uh, my sales staff enjoyed it. But the bottom line, ownership is not comfortable with a show that shows women beating up women. Uh, you know, it wasn't about the wrestling appearances, anything else, as Bill said, even way back then, the television programmers were just not comfortable showing women beating up women. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in the, we, we did get on Madison Square Garden Network and the show did really, really well. Madison Square Garden, you know, renewed it, gave us the numbers. I mean, we, we had a really good rating on MSG. And even the second year, sending that out to a lot of the programming executives at, you know, the individual stations, it was the same. They acknowledged the sales team would love to sell it, but ownership, the general managers, just not comfortable with it. And, you know, that was ultimately one of the reasons that, you know, LPWA, you know, went by the wayside that, you know, there wasn't a cable deal and, you know, you had to send the tapes out. You couldn't get national advertising unless you had, you know, so many of the top 50 or 100 markets. But even in the early 90s, not exactly the stigma Bill was referring to, but executives just weren't comfortable with women beating up women you know, fast forward to now, women are headlining WrestleMania. Yeah, see, the, the whole thing with the when Vince started making it into sports entertainment, I think that the sponsors and the people that didn't like it looked at it in a lighter yeah. vein. But we also have to talk about the people that changed the whole perception of women's wrestling to make it more athletic. And the first one, I remember seeing do this and Ken, she was a very good friend of yours too, was Medusa. Yes. Medusa uh, went to Japan and learned that strong style, kick-ass type of pro wrestling and brought that to the United States and changed the way the girls competed with each other where it wasn't that whole um, sexy TNA type of thing. It was more of a, uh, a, a fighter type of situation, right? Yeah, I mean... You know, Medusa came to the AWA, and you're right. Uh, she was no nonsense in the ring. And we were then, and in fact, reunited again after years and years at the gathering two years ago, and have kept in touch. And I texted it because I came across it, and I texted it to Medusa. When she went to Japan and won the title, she was so excited. She sent me a postcard of her getting the belt after that match. And you're right. In a lot of ways, Medusa really was the trailblazer yeah. in I am going to compete in the ring the same way the men compete against each other. The same level. I'm going to compete. And then, you know, it was followed by Sherry Martell you know, was the same way. And it's a great point, Bill. I, I don't think in the fans' eyes, they give Medusa as much credit as she should get and deserves for changing how women wrestling was viewed. Yes, absolutely. And that, again, it was that education and uh, 
Japan. And that led to that whole strong style that you see today with people like, uh, like a Becky Lynch, where, um, and even, you know, what Ronda Rousey, even though she came from the uh, world of shoot fighting, but it's not a TNA type of product anymore. And it wasn't, a lot of it wasn't like that in the Moolah days. Uh, I, I think the Moolah days, uh, they were, they were tough ladies and a little attract, but I think that after a while, the promoters just kind of made it more of a TNA special uh, attraction. But now the WWE was having men teach the women how to wrestle, how to work at the performance center. Uh, I know Fit Finley, who's a, a shooter type of guy, yeah. was teaching a lot of the uh, women there. And now they are on that same level uh, in, or a lot of them are, as uh, as are the men. There was a lot of twists and turns to get to where we're at right now, sure. because, you know, you said it, Bill, there were the style that Moolah taught was very much professional wrestling and it was an attraction, uh, but it wasn't looked at seriously, but it wasn't about TNA, you know, right. uh, in quotes. And then you had a shift where Vince McMahon mostly went to the it didn't matter about wrestling it was all about bra and panties and uh the sizzle to try to get young male viewers to tune in and and then you kind of kind of led to where we're at right now where you have a mix of both or mix of fabulous moolah's style mixed with what medusa brought to the table and the japanese style and, and you have some of the glamour and, and some of the, the looks mixed in as well. Sure. And it led to the product of today. But the biggest difference is it's not an attraction. It's an actual division that has respectability. And that's something, Ken, that it wasn't really wasn't looked at, unfortunately. Back well, I, I think and, and smartly and rightly so. Vince picked up on, remember back when the LPWA was on, David McLean had Glow, which was a, a you know, successful TV show. And that was more, you know, the, the lingerie of wrestling. And, and a lot of the gals really weren't good wrestlers. And, you know, I'm sure Vince watched everything. And, you know, he said, you know, if I can take part of Glow but use women that can actually and are well-trained in wrestling, I might have something. And I, I think that's probably what it bore out of. And, and I'll share this story. I've, I've told it a couple of times. Um, even in the early 90s, when women were wrestling, wrestling fans were still very astute. And I remember one of the gals that we had in the LPWA had come from Glow, you know, Tina Moretti. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Ivory. We, yeah. yeah. We didn't know. And then uh, in LPWA, she went as Lisa Moretti. Mm -hmm. And we really didn't know how well that she could work because the only experience she had really had was, was Glow. And some of the gals there weren't really well trained. And I'll never forget, it was at a taping we did in Laughlin, Nevada at the showboat. And, you know, because everybody in the LPWA, we were treating it the way you would any, any men's promotion. 
the same respect. Everybody was really trying to, to help the product. And, you know, we had Judy Martin and Lonnie Kai, who were great uh, veterans, oh, knew the inside yes. and out. And they were sitting with us, you know, as we were trying to book the shows. And Tor and I were, were trying to figure out kind of what we had with Lisa. And Judy Martin said, I'll work with her. And we said, you know what? We're going to put Lisa over, but we'll kind of go up on the fly and let Judy basically call the match. And the fans had never really didn't know, you know, Lisa Moretti from anyone. Judy came out. She was a heel. And then Lisa came out. And within 10 seconds of her walking out, the crowd was instantly behind her. She hadn't done anything. She hadn't gotten in the ring yet. Nothing. And it was like I was absolutely not surprised when she went on to be Ivory in a WWE Hall of Famer. In that very first moment, she just had that it factor. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Was, was a little green. And, and the, the finish we were going to use was Lisa was going to come up behind Judy with kind of a flying back crucifix and then drop her and, you know, get the pin. Well, Lisa came up and behind Judy and she was a little short and only uh, a veteran like Judy just very quietly reached behind and grabbed her other leg behind her and brought it up so she could get up to her shoulders. You know, Lisa got the win, the crowd absolutely popped. But I'm thinking, you know, every time I think about that, the moment she walked out, she just had that it factor. That's great. But I'm thinking, how many veterans today would go out of their way to help put over basically a rookie on them where you see now so many missed spots? But that was the, the difference in like a Judy Martin and Lonnie Kai. It was whatever we can do for the business. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. But that's you see what, today, my favorite story. Lisa walked out. The crowd immediately popped. She yeah. just had that it factor. She was amazing, and she's she's still. I see her at the conventions, and she's she's just fabulous. And if you really, you know, if we're looking for uh, uh, things that the girls that really hit this business with such a passion, also you need to look at Lita. Who, uh, who yeah. is very feminine, yet one of the toughest kick-ass ladies you'll ever see. Trish Stratus, yeah. amazing looking, and what an incredible wrestler. In Made herself ring. into a wrestler. You know, she was, she was kind of started in that manager or just something to look at yeah. vain and made herself into so much more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it just, uh, uh, it, it's gone from, you know, those dark ages to where it is today. And now when I look at it, you know, you see people like uh, Bianca Belair, mm -hmm. uh, Bailey, um, uh, just uh, Charlotte Flair. I mean, she didn't have to be this good because she's Ric Flair's daughter. Right. She is that good. Um <laughs> Question for, for both of you, when, when, it, when it comes to the changing of the eras 
And when you go from what Mula did to what Medusa did to ultimately what happened during the uh, the Divas era, I, I know Fabulous Mula and Mae Young were part of that 90s WWE Attitude Era. But how did Mula really feel about what they had done to the women's wrestling, the respectability that she worked so hard to I can answer build. that. Yeah. I talked to her about it many times. She had made a deal with uh, WWE. Uh, she and her girls were extremely highly compensated. And she was a, more so than a performer. She was a businesswoman. And she felt that what she did there uh, helped her entire business, and it was good for everybody. That was the bottom line there. She was not the type of thing, well, darling, you're, you're just ruining what we did. No, it's great paychecks. Her girls were well taken care of, and she was too, and she had a great deal with them. Bottom line was the business. And was Mula involved at all? Because you, you mentioned some of the ladies like Judy Martin and Leilani Kai. They're all part of that Mula coaching tree was Mula part of the lpwa at all and and was there any heat if she wasn't no uh i, I mean that i don't know but but i mean some of her gals certainly were uh she wasn't and i'd only met Mula, you know a couple times at at house shows where i was there and we were you know doing interviews so you know i'm not in any way qualified to answer the only thing i i can say is over the years, I've had a chance to talk to a, a lot of gals that, you know, were involved with Mula. Uh, some of them speak very highly of her. Some of them, not so much. So uh, I, I think Bill is probably dead on correct when at that point to Mula, it was all about business. And I think there may have been some resentment towards that attitude by some of the gals and some said, Hey, I'm making more money. This is great. Yeah. She owned Mula enterprises and uh, that was her, her corporation, her business. She created that and good for her that she was able to make it so uh, financially successful. Was that? And I think Bruce, um, you're exactly right. And just how, you know, fans and things have changed. Uh, in terms of, of all the WWF, WWE divas, I think you can make an argument, it, it, whether it be the convention or whatever, that Trish Stratus might be the biggest get. I, I mean, I think you could say in some ways she is still the most popular all these years later. And I'm sure they had hoped to, to get her involved, but she can't come across the border. Yeah, for sure. See, and I put um, Lita you know. in that same. I put Lita in on that same level. Yeah, I really do. Uh, but just going back to the the Mula, so a lot of stories about Mula training her her stable of women, mm -hmm. and then taking a cut from those women all throughout the years, and that was a business model. And I heard from Manny Fernandez that Dory Funk Senior actually did something similar. He would have his trainees and people that he traveled with stay 
at his uh, ranch or compound yeah. and they lived for free and, and they all helped each other out and they shared money and resources. Was that more common back in the day? Uh, either one of you, uh, I guess Bill first, because you go back a little bit farther. Was that more common back in the day to have a kind of a master uh, basically having putting people up and, and the really answer is traveling yes. together. The answer is yes. When you had an entrepreneur of like a Moolah or a Dory Funk senior to start their own stable, Hey, you don't have to join this stable. Okay. If you want to come along, you can stay here. You'll make some money, you'll work, you know, and uh, nobody was forced to do anything. Sure. That way. But yeah, there were, uh, I believe that uh, up in Calgary, uh, to the the uh, there was a similar situation with the hearts when you were uh, at their yeah. camp at their dungeon etc too it was all over the place I mean this is how people there was no performance center this is how people learn their craft on the road and you needed someone who was the uh, uh, the guru the dojo or whatever and whether it be Dory Funk or uh, Mula or other people that's the way the business ran there was nothing wrong with that you did, were not forced to stay. Ken, was Vern uh, of that ilk? Did Vern have the people that he trained that stay close to him and travel together with him? So they well, learned I, every I, aspect? I think so that, you know, those he trained that were good enough, Vern, you know, just graduated right uh, into the AWA. And I think he, even today, it's a little bit different business model, but a little bit the same that a lot of guys that, you know, are running schools, you know, especially independent promoters, will contact them and say, hey, here's what I need. Who do you have? And then the kind of promoter pays the, whoever has a school who says, hey, you're going to work on such and such a show and you're going to get X. But, you know, this is what you're getting. And the promoter might be giving them X plus a little more that, you know, the, the owner of the school. So yeah. a little different model, but the same business model in a way. Sure. I, Ken, I was listening to... Uh, on the weekend, we had we aired a two part special the last two weeks with Ken Patera and Ken. It was uh, Brian Ferguson's Bumps and Thumps podcast, which is our newest show here on VOC Nation. So Brian did a two part interview with Ken Patera. And I didn't realize this, but Ken Patera, and this has nothing to do with women, but about training. But Ken trained in the same class under Vern as Ric Flair. Well, and yeah. and and uh, there was some I, I I forget who else, uh, but it, it was a Hall of Fame class. That's my point. Uh, I, I just uh, I was listening to the talent that Ken talked about that that Vern kind of just recruited from different walks of life and and built them into megastars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and you know, Vern was the same. I mean, he didn't smarten those guys up right away. Believe me. Um, so, and I go back and, you know, you touched on a little bit. I mean, if you look at the talent that came through either Vern Gagne's school here or Eddie Sharkey's school here, I mean, you could have one of the all-time great promotions just out of wrestlers with ties to the Twin Cities and, yeah. and Minnesota. Yeah, Rick Rude and the Road Warriors. I mean, there's a there's just a ton. John Nord, <laughs> Brad Rangan, uh, Sergeant Sloth. Harry Dorso. Yeah, I yeah, mean a lot of those. Nikita Kolov, 
you know, is, is from here. And we talked about all the, the credit um, she deserves for kind of changing how women wrestled each other in terms of approaching it like men approach wrestling yep. each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sneak in one more quick break and then we'll come back and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with where women's wrestling is today and how we kind of got from the divas era into uh, the respectability that uh, we we finally got to with that product and that we enjoy today. So back on the other side, wrestling with history on VOC Nation. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. All right, wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Just kind of talking through the changes in women's wrestling and where we started with Mildred Burke to where we moved to with Fabulous Moolah and her stable of uh, the traveling act that she I, I don't want to say act, but it was more of a sideshow. It was more of a um, traveling girl wrestling show. It was a traveling attraction. That's the word. I'm a traveling for. ladies wrestling troupe. That's what it was. To Medusa introducing strong style. Then we had the Divas era. And then WWE uh, came out and they decided, and, and this is going back into the early 2000 teens, that women's wrestling deserves respectability. And I think, Bill, that that had a lot to do with Stephanie McMahon that, winning I, power. You read my mind. You absolutely read my mind. Take me there. The one person that needs to take give, be given a lot of credit for is Stephanie because the world was changing with the, the whole movement of respectability of women, not just in sports, but in every genre in the world. And Stephanie stepped stepped up and really made this a, uh, a priority to make sure that the women were on the same level as the men yeah. in professional wrestling. And uh, yeah, she went ahead and did that. And she's one of the most powerful executives uh, anywhere. Now she has uh, the profile that she raised for the women. She's also been able to raise for herself and other executives in the uh, media world around the world so yes stephanie mcmahon whoo and when you were working in uh in wwe back in in your day and uh little stephanie and little shane and they weren't that little were running around uh did you ever think that it would be stephanie that would rise to prominence and be uh in line to be the successor of the business no, I, I mean, back then, uh, it, you know, when she would be, you know, running around, you know, as the, the boys or talent, they might nod to her, but it was like, boy, I, you know, not, uh, uh, I would have never thought Stephanie would, would be, you know, involved uh, in the business. And Bill is right. Uh, she has almost made it her mission to, to raise a profile. And, and I would kind of add one other thing that I thought to a degree, the women's or divas division in, in WWE was 
beginning to slide a little away from the kind of toughness approach that, that Medusa brought, more just sliding away from that. And I would say that it was when they brought in Ronda Rousey, that kind of brought it back to that, added that toughness, which I think they may have started to slide a little bit away from. So when we talk about the likes, you know, of the Medusas and the Sherry Martells that, that kept that mentality, tough approach to women's wrestling. I think you've got to throw Ronda Rousey in there because I think it was sliding away. And I think her presence brought back that kind of tough mentality approach to the matches. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the, the uh, wrestlers who are characters like Asuka, um, who are so tough in the ring. I mean, they, they, they really bring it, but they, they, the ladies now have demanded credibility and respect by what they've been doing in the ring. Yeah. That's what they've been doing because when you see two top ladies competing in the ring, it's as good as the guys when it's really good. Yeah, and, and along those same lines, along with Ronda Rousey, Certainly, uh, Becky Lynch brought back that toughness and Charlotte Flair, the, the lineage to Ric Flair, they have, you know, brought that back, but just in their style demanded, if you will, that their opponents approach it the same way. Yeah, yeah. And that young kid, Bianca Belair, at this point, she's got a great personality and she's excellent in the ring the other thing that i think was brilliant that they did for women's wrestling is at the same time that they brought this respectability they also through the deal with uh e entertainment television and and eventually on the wwe network now on peacock they had total divas running at the same time and i remember back when total divas first started women that I knew that we either worked for me or I worked around that weren't wrestling fans were engrossed in total divas. And because of that, they knew who Daniel Bryan was and they knew John Cena and they wanted to watch wrestling because they were engrossed in these personalities on this show. Yeah. I, and I'll say one thing that I don't think, you know, where sometimes he's criticized, but I don't think Vince gets really as much credit as he should Starting with WrestleMania, bringing in, you know, the entertainment figures, Vince was always smart enough and has never missed an opportunity to bring in any mainstream groups that may not have been wrestling fans trying to turn them into wrestling fans. And, and more so than anyone in the business, he's recognized it takes more than just wrestling to get mainstream fans to become wrestling fans. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Well, that is uh, 
that's that's puts a, a bow on it, as they say. That's uh, our quick history of women's wrestling and uh, some behind the scenes stories from Bill and Ken on some of the things that happened throughout the years. I do want to say this. If you uh, listened and we did this very quickly and there's a lot of people that probably we could spend a whole lot of time on. If there's somebody like I, I heard Sherry Martell, sensational Sherry mentioned, if there's somebody you would like to hear Ken and Bill stop and spend a little bit more time on in that uh, road from Mildred Burke on through today. And especially if, if they were part of the eras that Ken and Bill were, were most active in the, in the heyday, uh, let us know, send us a tweet to at VOC nation uh, or uh, send me an email, Bruce at VOCNation.com. Also got the comment box on VOCNation.com that is very great at inspiring feedback. So we want to hear that. And, and just real quick before we, we close this out, guys, Sherry Martell uh, was part of that real transition, uh, that period where you could be very attractive and also look really tough in the ring. Yeah, she sure was. And back when she was in the AWA, she didn't have that like uh, scary Sherry gimmick going. And she was such a uh, great wrestler. And there are a lot of wrestlers and I can't talk about them off the top of my head. I don't remember them all, but people like Ted DiBiase, whose mother, Helen Hild, was a professional wrestler. And there's probably a lot of other wrestlers uh, throughout history whose mothers were also women wrestlers. So that'd be good for us to look up and talk about next time. And be, before we get out of here, give us the dates and the information on the gathering one more time. And I know that people can go to tmartpromotions.com and get it all, but you are going to be at the gathering and I need you to tell me all about it in a two minute package. Uh, Thursday, July 22nd through Sunday, July 25th. Uh, the Hilton University Place, Charlotte, North Carolina. You can get all the information at T is in Tom, Mart, M A R T, promotions.com. Uh, the, I mean, it's just fabulous. The Thursday night barbecue where just everybody hangs out, you know, the, the legends are there. Uh, that's already sold out, but there are tickets remaining. Uh, Friday night, a night to remember. Uh, honoring Andre the Giant. Jackie McAuliffe is going to be there that was so prominent uh, at Andre's Ranch. Ted DiBiase is going to present her uh, Axe and Smash Demolition, going to be presented by the Power, uh, the Warlord uh, and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain. The fabulous one, Steve Kern, Stan Lane will be there, Rick Steiner, um just it it's a fabulous tickets for the the dinner friday night there's autograph sessions photo sessions live wrestling saturday night nick all this defending the nwa title all the information teammartpromotions.com you can see all the legends that are going to be there if you can't make it you can order personalized autograph pictures through mail order that martin damato will have everyone sign it, we call it a convention, but the way they do it, it's really a family reunion because everybody's there for two, three days. They're hanging around the lobby. They're hanging around the bar. They're out at the pool. You get a chance to interact with them, not like a normal signing where you get 30 seconds and, you know, the next person is there. It's, it's just a, a truly fabulous, fabulous weekend. We talked about 
Uh, our friend Mike Johnson from PWI Insider, He's he was there two years ago. He's going to be there again this year. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, nostalgic for the 80s, 90s, tmartpromotions.com, The Gathering, July 22nd through the 25th, Hilton University Place, group rates available. Don't you dare miss it. Whoa. Bill, I know that you can be a minute and a half faster than Ken, but you are back in the saddle this weekend yes, as this well, aren't you? Yes, this Sunday, depending upon when you're watching and listening to this, uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania on the 27th. I will be at the Fairview uh, Firehouse in Allentown. Bud Carson uh, from Pro Wrestling World, when he owned that, is promoting a, a great free convention there. And uh, I will be there. I will have copies of my book, Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Thank you for dropping that in. Uh, also, Barry Windham will be there. Uh, Akeem, One Man Gang, will be there. Tugboat will be there. Um, uh, Carlito will be there. Uh, Maven and uh, lots of other uh, super wrestling stars. So I hope to see you all in Allentown, PA, this Sunday. Don't you dare miss it. Anyway, I, I got to take a brief exception. Pandemic or not, how can Bill Ather be back in the saddle when he was never out of the saddle? I don't understand that. Well, I was horsing around. <laughs> Bill, is that going to be an ag hall, brother? No, it's at, at, it's at, the, uh, at the Fairview uh, Fire Company. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, ag hall, the old Allentown. town. Yeah, ag hall. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, I was back in New York back in those days. I went, I was Sunnyside, the Island Garden. I just, uh, I have my, my uh, Hulk Hogan did an interview with us uh, when we were on the air in Philadelphia. And, and uh, through Brian Knobs, we were doing a bunch of promotional work for Hogan and friends. And I just, I'll never forget him saying, we're going to be at Ag Hall, brother. Right. Yeah, where it all started. Hulkamania. Yeah. All right. Anyway, thank you, uh, Killer Ken Resnick. Wonderful Willie, the legend maker. Uh, voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. We uh, we didn't prep much for this show today. Maybe you could tell. Maybe you prep could. at all. What do you didn't prep at all? But we put it together for you. Uh, we could have one last thing before we, we go. And we're taping this on um, Tuesday, Tuesday night, the twenty um, second. Today's date, uh, the 22nd. 22nd. I have my July calendar up, uh, the 22nd. And I just wanted to send a shout out. Uh, there's been a very um, sad video of Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf that was put up by his son. He's going through very, very trying time. And I just want to send all our prayers and love from everyone here and the entire VOC nation and uh, all the after chatters as well that uh, we love you uh paul ondorf and um just want to let you know we're all we're all hanging in there for you and same same from ken and i as well and we'll uh, in the well, coming weeks i said oh, the voc nation yeah. that's you two are part of that i i just wanted to if he can't whatever right. anyway uh <laughs> In the coming weeks, uh, we will do an entire show devoted to Paul Orndorff. That's something yeah, that we he talked had a great, about. He's had a great career, and we should pay tribute to his uh, career one of these days. Yeah. Ken, were you? Uh, I, I saw you look. Uh, you looked like you wanted to say something. No, I, I mean, I, I I saw the video, and I was just thinking how sad it was. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not a good situation and, and thoughts and prayers to Paul Orndorff and his family. All right. We're going to get out of here now. Uh, thank you for enduring. If you're still with us, uh, one, uh, 62 minutes in for, uh, Ken Resnick, killer Ken Resnick, wonderful Willie, the legend maker, Bill Apter. Bill, send us out. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wood. We'll see you. Yeah. At the Natchez. Finally. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation.